This episode is sponsored by The Kings. Thank you for all of your love and support. This week on Steadfast. Every time I drive by a baseball field or I look across, you know, out the back window at my neighbor playing soccer with his son, you know, I was responsible for taking the life of an unborn child in the womb, my son. Welcome to Steadfast. Welcome to Steadfast. Let's take your babies. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Steadfast. I'm your host, Sammy Carroll, Education Coordinator at Life Choices Women's Clinic in Phoenix, Arizona. And today I got the profound honor to talk to Jeff Joquin about his story of healing from an abortion. He took his girlfriend to the abortion clinic at just 17 years old, and he talks about the transformation of his heart over the next 30 years and all the steps that he took to heal and reconcile with God and his ex-girlfriend, and he even shares a letter that he wrote to his unborn son. He is now speaking nationally. He has been featured on EWTN, and he will be. They're making a documentary. It's just wonderful to see how he has taken this story and shared it with so many people and is transforming hearts. And it's so clear that God is working through him and God is just so, so good. This is a bit of a longer episode, so let's just get right to it. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Jeff Joquin. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Sammy. Pleasure to join you today. I am very excited about this. You have a wonderful story, um, a very, very touching story that I'm sure is going to impact so many people. But can we start by you just telling us about yourself and your family? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jeff Joquin, uh, husband to my beautiful wife, Sandy, of 23 years, and father to my daughter, Faith McKenzie, who's 20 uh, years old, just had her birthday, and to my son, Jonathan Andrew Joquin, who would be 35 years old today. His birthday would have been the third week of July of 1987. So yeah, he's, he's between 35 and 36 years old now, but all of his time has been spent up in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, um, you have been sharing this story for the past uh, few years and you've helped so many men heal from an abortion. Can you, can you share with us your story? Yeah, you know, um, the story, obviously, it's an abortion story that happened at the age of 17, Sammy. But what's important, really, is to give the backstory behind that, because I didn't just wake up one day and decide that I wanted to take the life of an unborn child in my girlfriend's womb. So, you know, my prodigal son story, if you will, started when I was 11 years old and I was we had a baseball tournament with a good friend of mine. Tournament was over, went back to his house. Uh, the whole team was there, the parents and whatnot. Um, and then at the end of the day, when the parents were going home, uh, his parents and my parents went out uh, for a drink or two. And that just left my friend, myself, and his girlfriend alone in their house. And he asked me a question. He said, you know, do you want to watch a movie? And I said, sure. Who doesn't like movies? And so I think he's going to pull out a Disney movie. And he goes to the corner of his father's living room and takes a VHS tape out from behind the the uh, grandfather clock there, and he put it in, and it was hardcore pornography. So that's really where my journey, my my prodigal son journey, really started. Is eleven years old is too young to to witness that type that gravity of of uh, material, but that really started me down a bad path. 
Um, around the age of 13, I started drinking alcohol. Um, the age of 14, I started smoking marijuana every day before school. And by the time I got to 15 years old, I was, I was a user of cocaine. So I, all these things I tried to use to try to fill that void, that hole, that innocence that was lost. And then, you know, at the age of 17, I was getting ready to go off to college to play football. And, um, and I got that phone call from my girlfriend at the time. And I remember it as if it were yesterday. It was the third, third Saturday of July, 1987. And the phone rang. This was back before we had cell phones attached to us. So it, it, uh, I was at home and the phone rang and, and I, I picked it up. And it was my girlfriend. And she immediately said, Jeff, we have a problem. And all I could think of, Sammy, to be honest with you, is all the fears came rushing through through me. And, and you know, um, am I not going to go to college and play football? Am I, am I, I thought she was using protection. Should I have been using protection? All these fears raced through my mind. And then she said, we're pregnant. And I, I can remember this, you know, I mean, it was it was uh, 36 years ago now, and I can remember it as if it was yesterday. My heart just sank um, because it hit rewind just a little bit. I have a brother who's five years older than me, and when he was in high school, he got his girlfriend pregnant, and that was a big stain on my family. We grew up in a good Catholic Christian family, but that was a big stain for one of their children to have, you know, to to get a girl pregnant before marriage. So my brother had a shotgun wedding, essentially. Um, and, and he had the courage to at least go forward and, and have his son at the time. So for me, when I got that phone call, Sammy, I, I, it shocked me to the core. Um, my mother, who I, I love dearly, before I got into the high school years, she told me, she said, you know, if you ever make a mistake like your brother did, I'll castrate you. And, and, and that was not meant negatively. She was just trying to protect me. She, I was the little baby. She didn't want me to make the same mistakes my brother made. But when I, had, when I got that phone call from my girlfriend, Sammy, it just it shocked me to death. Um, I knew I couldn't have the baby because it would destroy my poor mother. Um, and I don't blame, I, I don't want that to, to sound like I'm deflecting the blame. It was 100% my decision um, uh, to not move forward. And, and, uh, and it has nothing to do with, with my mother. She's not responsible. Right. But long story short, the next day I called, I told my girlfriend, I said, listen, give me 24 hours. Give me some time to think about it, and I'll call you back. And I never prayed about it, Sammy. I, I, I just I was in such fear for my future that I called her back the next day, and I told her we need to get an abortion. So it it happened very quickly. Um, I was a nervous seventeen year old kid, and instead of accepting my fatherhood and standing behind my girlfriend, I decided to have an abortion. We decided to have an abortion. Yeah. Did your mom, was your mom excited about her other grandchild? You know, it's, it, um, my mother has, she has, um, five grandchildren now, 
four for my older brother and one for me. And she dotes over her grandchildren like no grandmother ever has. So yeah, she was, she was, um, couldn't have been more excited with my brothers, the outcome of my brothers, um, um, uh, fornication, if you will. Um, and she was, she was so excited for her first grandchild. So, but you know, that's really the backstory behind my family is that my brother was the one that received so much backlash and so much, um, um, uh, he, he suffered so much because he brought his child into this world where I hid in the, hid behind the darkness of abortion. And, and, and so it, it's, it's a real dichotomy. He did the right thing and got punished for it. I did the wrong thing and hid in silence for years. Yeah. Can you walk me through that day? Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the day I remember picking my girlfriend up in the morning we we lived in Dartmouth, Massachusetts, but for anonymity's sake, we we had the abortion in Providence, Rhode Island. So I had picked her up at her apartment and drove all the way down to Providence, Rhode Island. It was about a 40-minute drive. And I never said one word to her, Sammy, that whole drive down. Didn't console her, didn't reassure her that we were doing the right thing. It was silence out of fear. Um and, and I regret that. I regret that because not only was the decision bad and poor and grave and mortal, but the fact that I couldn't support her going through it really rips at my heart. But it was maturity later in life that helped me with that. So we pulled up to the Portacache. It was this big concrete building in Providence, Rhode Island. And I pulled up to the Portacache and, and she opened up her door and she looked at me and she said, well, are you going to come in with me? And I looked at her and I said, no, I, I have no intentions of going in with you. You know, that that's part two of the cowardly decisions. I, I didn't accept my fatherhood. And now I, I'm, I'm bringing my girlfriend to get our unborn child taken in her womb. And I can't even go in to support her with it. So she went in the clinic. I pulled my vehicle into the into the parking lot. And the way Sammy, this this uh, facility is set up, this women's health center is set up, is all the way around the perimeter of it, there was big oak trees. And it kind of prevented any you know wind or breeze from coming in. And it was July of 1987. It was hot, very hot, and I didn't have air conditioning in my car. And for the first time in 17 years. I actually had to confront the God of the universe. And I can remember sitting there as my poor girlfriend was inside the facility, getting our unborn child taken in the womb. And I'm sitting there sweating bullets. And I remember asking God, I said, God, is this what hell is going to feel like? And it, I, you know, Sammy, I, even saying those words today, 36 years later, it still brings back that pain. So she came out of the clinic, the, the women's health clinic. I drove her home and, you know, cowardly act part three, I broke up with her the next day. So it, it was a real travesty of um, a lack of a manhood on my part to not only put my girlfriend through that situation, to not support her 
and then to abandon her, it it just it's it's unconscionable as I look back at it. So as you moved forward, was it hard or was it haunting you immediately or when did it start haunting you? Oh, you know, um, Sammy, great question. For me, because I went off to college in in um in the short version of a long story, what's a, a two-time All-American uh, football player and had the Buffalo Bills come to a, a, a few of my football games, I hid behind my future NFL career. That's that's what I did. That, that's how I processed that for the first four or five years is I just hid behind the, the, the future NFL career. And when you have an entourage of people, Sammy, that are telling you how great you are and, and how, you know, you're the best thing since, you know, since sliced bread. Um, it's an easy front. It's an easy mask to put on to, to avoid, you know, all the drug abuse, the alcohol abuse and, and whatnot and the, and the abortion behind me. So it was actually quite easy for the first four or five years to not even think about that, Sammy. Yeah, because I mean... You were constantly getting affirmed, too. Yeah, at that time, Sammy, that child would have would have prevented me. And I I keep hating to use air quotes, but it just puts it in perspective that that child would have prevented me from having a three or four million dollar NFL career. Yeah. So it, it I never even thought of it or processed it as as a as a great mortal sin. Yeah. Yeah. You had the perfect distraction and you were getting affirmed that, you know, in in a way that you made the right decision. So was it later? Did the football career not work out or what happened? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, um, I, what I like to say, I I was actually, um, uh, spoke at Jesuit high school this week, a, a high school in Tampa. And I said to the boys there, they asked the same kind of question. I said, well, I essentially snorted my NFL career up my nose. You know, I, I had a problem with cocaine. Um, it, 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 uh, it overwhelmed any, any real opportunity I had to, to, to go play on Sunday. So, so my addictions and my, the thorns in my flesh were, were so deep and so grave um, I, I was lucky really to be alive and, and I have a near-death experience at the age of 24 that, that, that pretty much validates the fact that I was on a highway to hell and nothing was going to stop me. Nothing was. Yeah. Do you think that in a weird way, not even a weird way, in a completely uh, expected way, you were almost punishing yourself for trying to bury yourself to not feel these feelings? Yeah, you know, yeah, that's a great question, Sammy. Men are tremendous at building walls up around us. And, and that's what I, I don't want to say men in general. I don't want to characterize, but we're really good at building gigantically tall walls to prevent people from getting on the inside. And what I mean by the inside is showing emotion, being vulnerable. And, and quite frankly, Sammy, that's why there's been the reaction that there's been over the last three years. Is why is this man going on national TV? Why is he going in front of the White House and documentaries and cameras? Why is he showing the world 
all of the deep, dark sins of his past. And you know what, Sammy? It not only has it set me free from my captivity, but it has set thousands and thousands of men free from their captivity because it breaks down that wall. But we, men, we don't show emotion. We, we can't, emotion, tears are a sign of weakness for men. And, and that's a real, um, you know, that's a very prideful way of approaching uh, healing because I didn't get the healing that I needed until I was able to show the emotion that, that, uh, that was buried so deep, dark inside, you know, in the deep recesses of my heart. I, I kept that issue of abortion buried in my heart for the better part of 21 years. And I'm sure we'll get to that part here, here moving forward. Yeah. I was going to say, how old are you when, um, you know, the regret kicked in and also how old are you when you met your wife? Yeah. You know, um, it, it's important to, to tie these two issues together at the age of 24. That was really the bottom part of my prodigal son journey. Um, I had graduated college. I still had an engineering degree, civil engineering degree, Sammy. So I was able to make a living. I went out into the world and I was building tunnels in Boston. But I was still a train wreck waiting to happen. I mean, at the age of 24 is when it all culminated. It was the summer summer of, of, um, of that year, which would have been uh, 94, somewhere around 1994. And all of my friends you know, that went to college, they graduated, and we came back home, and we were in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. And we went to our favorite beach and had a keg party. Well, that keg party started at like 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, if you can imagine that. And that led to drugs and led to cocaine and, and so on and so forth. So it was a, an all-day party. Um, and at about 11 p.m. that night, I, I was so cocaine, you know, inebriated, that I just had to go home. I, I, if I continued on, I probably would have had the heart attack there. But I went home, and uh, at the time I was living with my parents, and I can remember I was feeling very bad, feeling very sick, sweating, and I lied down in their den, and, and I remember calling my older brother up, and I said to him, I said, Marcus, said, I'm, I'm going to die here tonight. I'm having a cocaine-induced heart attack. I'm just, I'm going to die. I mean, it, 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 I'm sorry I wasn't the brother that you deserved. I'm sorry that I didn't play in the NFL. I'm, I'm sorry for who I am. And he said, Jeff, let me call 911. And I said, no, Mark, don't do that. I said, because I'm either going to meet Jesus Christ here tonight in person, he's going to come and save me, or I'm going to die and I'm going to meet him either way. And I said, I remember saying, I said, brother, I, I love you. I said, pray for me. And if I don't call you back in five minutes, um, just know that I love you. And all I can remember, um, Sammy, is a, a rush of warm, a warmth came over my body from head to toe. And I woke up the next day kneeling by my bed, asking God to put my life back together. And that integrates itself into your question, because literally three or four weeks later, God sent me my second guardian angel, and that's my wife, uh, Sandy. Um, when the football entourage had left Sammy, 
when, when, when quite frankly, all of my friends left and even a lot of my family left because of the mess that I had made in my life. That beautiful wife of mine, the, a gift from God came into my life. And I, I owe everything that I am today to her because she was that person that I needed or I would be dead. There, I say that, Sammy, I have six friends, six of my friends that live the same lifestyle that I just told you a little about. All six of them are dead today. God rest their soul. So I was on a path to, to destruction, utter destruction, if not but be for my beautiful wife who came into my life at that time. Did she help you with your addiction? Did she walk? You know, you know Sammy, I'm, I'm, and I say this out of humility, I'm six foot three, 260 pounds. My wife is five foot four, 120 pounds. And I can tell you from the first day that I met her, I have been scared to death of her in a good <laughs> way, in a, in a loving way, in a kind way, because everybody in my life, the entourage, when I told them, do this, or I told them, do that, they just listened and followed because they wanted to be part of the show. They wanted to see the plane crash, actually. But my wife... Sammy, she doesn't put up with any of that nonsense. None of it. When I when I tried to veer off the beaten path, she would beat me right back onto the path. Not in a bad way, but she held me accountable. She would she is and was my accountability partner. And so she had no formal training to help a man who suffered from alcoholism or drug abuse. But she had the formal training of love, and she overwhelmed me with her love and her accountability. And that's really what set me back on the path of trying to be an honest and reputable man in this world. She sounds like yeah. a saint, a future saint. Well, well, Saint Monica <laughs> prayed for Saint Augustine uh, for for many years. I'm blessed to have Saint Sandy praying for me every <laughs> day, and we pray the Rosary every. We've prayed the rosary every day for the last 15 years. It, she's just such a blessing for me. She's my second guardian angel. That's beautiful. So when did you start healing then? Healing from this abortion yeah. and the addiction as well. Yeah, you know, the the um to be honest with you, I met wife, my wife at 24. We moved to Florida um at the age of 25, Sammy. And we got married at 30. So when we got married, obviously the, the first logical thing, goal and that we were trying to achieve was to have children. And so we we proceeded with with um with that opportunity. And month after month, after month, after month, after year, the negative pregnancy results really that was the first time that I started thinking of what had happened 15 or 16 years ago. You know, going through my mind, is, is this, you know, the God of the Old Testament, you know, the flood at the time of Noah? Was I, was I being punished? Was God punishing me with infertility because I had taken the life of my unborn son so many years before? So that was really 
probably around the age of 33, Sammy, was the first time in my life that I started having to reflect on that grave mortal sin that I had done so many years before. But at that point in time in my life, Sammy, it, it was more about having a child. I, I needed, I, I wanted a child so badly that re that really drowned out me addressing the wounds from, from so many years before. But I can tell you, I, I remember vividly being on my knees in the fertility clinic, begging God, saying, God, I know I don't deserve a child, but could you please forgive me and bless me with one? And um, we were blessed with our daughter, Faith Mackenzie Joquin, with, who in and of itself is a miracle because she, she you know, the, the fertility procedure that we used had such a low percentage of success. Um, but God being the, the faithful God that he is, um, blessed us with our daughter. So that was really the first time in my life, Sammy, at 33, where I started reflecting on, you know, hey, that decision that I had made in the past, maybe I couldn't just bury it. And so it bubbled up a little bit then, but then once I had, we had our daughter, quite frankly, Sammy, then I turned and got mad at God because, because we couldn't have another child. And I wanted that son that every father wanted. So, you know, I treated God like a vending machine. You know, I had, I had put my quarter in. I had hit B6. I had got out the daughter that I had wanted. But when I went back and put another quarter in and pushed the one for my son, nothing came out. So quite frankly, I got mad at God. And any chance of me addressing that wound from the past got buried once again, because now I'm just going to I'm going to take on the, the newest addiction, which was workaholism at the time. So I almost got to address the old wound, but then I went right back to living my life the way I had lived it for the previous 33 years. Okay. Yeah. When did, hold on, let me rephrase. Um, so when did God reveal to you that you had a son? Yeah. Yeah. Such a great question. At the age of 38 years old, I was still not actively practicing my, I mean, we went to church on Sunday, Sammy, and, and we went to confession a couple times a year. And we put a dollar in the church basket and we thought we were going to heaven, you know. And it wasn't until I was, you know, around 38 years old and a man small in stature, but a giant in faith approached the ambo at Our Lady of the Rosary Parish in Tampa, Florida, in the land of lakes, Florida, actually. And he started talking about a men's program that, that um, you know, talking about authentic male leadership and, and being the spiritual leader of your family uh, and, and, and being someone that your wife and your daughter look up to, your children look up to. And that was the beginning of my journey, Sammy, quite frankly. I, 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 I accepted that challenge of becoming involved in that program, which is called That Man Is You, which is in, excuse me, 800 parishes uh, around the country. And that's when I started to take my faith seriously. 
I started going to church a couple times a week, going to confession once a month, um, and really diving into my faith. I would read the Bible at least an hour a day. And soon thereafter, Sammy, in my, my probably my early 40s, is when I took on a spiritual director. Because I was just a spiritual knot. Even at that age, I was still, I was practicing my faith, but it was more of a facade than it was anything. And very early in that spiritual direction with Father Ed Sylvia, he recommended that I do a general confession. So I, I, I got all the books for it. I spent two or three months, you know, rehashing my past. And then, you know, which obviously involved my abortion. And then I went in for my general confession, probably somewhere around the age of 40 or 41. And I'll never forget this, Sammy, because that was, it was about an hour and 20 minutes long. And about an hour and 10 minutes into that confession, I had to, I had to tell the God of the universe that I was sorry for taking the life of one of his dear children. And I tell you, I was, the tears were flowing like water for me. The tears were flowing like water for the priest. And when he, and when he spoke those words of absolution, I was free, Sammy, from, from 25 years of pain, 25 years of running from that little secret that I had. In an instant, all it took was me to ask God to forgive me and one of his soldiers, one of his blessed priests in Persona Christi, walked out of that confessional, threw his arms around me, and said, Welcome home. And I was, I was set free from 25 years of captivity. I had hidden, I had run, and the hound of heaven had finally caught up to me. And he set me free. Because, see... And I want to say this to the man and the woman listening. God does not care about your past or your present. He cares about your future. He does not make a difference what you have done in your life, how grave and mortal that sin is. It only takes an instant for you to gain reconciliation with him. And then he forgets about your entire past. So that is when, Sammy, for me, I finally got the 500-pound gorilla that I had been carrying for the better part of two and a half decades. And in an instant, God took that 500-pound gorilla and removed it right from my chest. You know what I love about that is that God obviously knows you, his son, so well. And you were talking about your competitive nature you're you're the athlete in you and it was really through a challenge that man is you that he snagged you he like snared you back in because uh I, I was an athlete too we like the competition we want a challenge and he knew how to get you by presenting this challenge that you accepted that's really beautiful i'm um what happened when you left the confessional i mean was did you go home and your wife was like who are you what have you done with my husband <laughs> Yes, that, that it, it um, you know, from that point, Sammy, my, my life was obviously changed forever. The, the words of Matthew 25, verse 40, 
what you did for the least of my brethren, you did for me. I knew my the trajectory for the next 10 years of my life would be permanently altered. You know, at that time, Sammy, my wife, because I had started my conversion process, she she saw somebody different. She she already knew that the guy that was so good at football could be so good at ministering. So that process had already started happening, but that confessional put it in overdrive. I mean, it, 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 it just, it put it in overdrive, but it, you know, it's important to know that after 25 years of, of harboring that pain inside of me and God setting me free, my soul was set free from the captivity, but my emotions, Sammy, still you know, even even till today, I still harbor a little bit of pain associated with that decision because I'm a human being. Every every time I drive by a baseball field or I look across, you know, out the back window at my neighbor playing soccer with his son, you know, I was responsible for taking the life of an unborn child in the womb, my son. I so even though I reconciled with God. You know, that pain, I've been working the last 10 years on getting rid, of, getting rid of that emotional pain that still, quite frankly, uh, resides in me today. But, I, but as you so astutely put it, it's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for me. I, I know, Sammy, with 100% equivocation that my healing will not occur 100% until I am out of purgatory and I walk through the gates of heaven and I'm able to wrap my arms around Jesus, that's going to be a great experience. Wrap my arms around the Blessed Mother of whom I have such a love for. But when I'm able to walk up to my son and I'm able to wrap my arms around him and hear from him, Dad, I love you. That is when the pain will go away from me. It'll go completely away. And I'm okay with that because I use that pain as a competitive drive to stand in front of a camera, Sammy. A few weeks ago, I, I did a two-hour documentary that's getting produced and, and eventually will air on EWTN. The man asked me the same question. When does the pain go away? I don't want the pain to go away. Okay? I, not all of it. I, I want to feel the pain of my girlfriend that she experienced 36 years ago when she was looking for her man to stand up for her. I want to feel the pain that Jesus and the Blessed Mother felt 36 years ago when my son's soul went to heaven. It's okay for me to feel that pain because that's what drives me to speak wherever and whenever I can. And Sammy, I cannot tell you the stories that I hear on a daily basis about men and women who have come out of 30, 40, 50 years of darkness and pain and anxiety and fear and resentment 
and they say thank you to me. And I say, no, 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 no. You don't thank me. I'm the un I am the unworthy tool in the tool chest. You need to thank the guy who is is unfathomable in his mercy. So it the pain is there, Sammy. Uh, the pain will always be there until I get to heaven. But if I can share my pain and my woundedness, and that helps somebody come out of their captivity, then that's why I'm with you today. Yeah. I want to say that your son must be so proud of you. But I also want to know, how do you know it's a son? I know that you have said that God has revealed that to you. So can you tell me about that? Yeah, we... um we could do a four-hour podcast just on God's revelation to me uh, since since I reconciled with him. But, but uh, about a year after, um, you know, I had reconciled with God. I had shared my story with my beautiful wife, who now could carry that burden with me, men that are married. You have a partner that can carry that. It's called burden sharing. And don't just let her carry all your burdens, carry some of hers too. But my wife now could help me carry that burden. But, you know, there was still that pain, Sammy, of, okay, I've aborted a child. You you continue to hear me reference a son, obviously, because of, because of the, what's been revealed to me. But there were a couple-year period where I would go to the chapel once a week or once every couple weeks and pray to God and say, okay, God, You've forgiven me for for taking this life in the womb, but could you could you give me some insight? You know, could you could you give me some a revelation as to is it a boy? Is it a girl? And you know, I was in the chapel one day, Sammy, and and it literally, when I the first three or four years that I would spend a lot of time in the chapel, my brain would work four hundred miles an hour, my mouth would work four hundred miles an hour and my ears would be pugged. I wasn't listening to God. I was telling him what he needed to do. And then one day, like a, like a punch in the chest, like a, a 250-pound fullback hits you, I got the wind knocked out of me. And, and, and literally, I believe I heard him say, could you please shut up for <laughs> two minutes? so that I could talk to you. And I said, Jesus, I didn't realize that, that that was what this was about. And he said, Jeff, do you remember when you, after you had your daughter, do you remember how mad you got at me? Do you remember how mad you were that you couldn't have a son? Well, I'm here to tell you that you do have a son, Jeff. And his name is Jonathan Andrew. And he is sitting right here with me. And he loves you beyond comprehension. I'll tell you, Sammy, I collapsed in the chapel that day. Thank God I was the only person in there. But I, I literally collapsed with emotion after hearing that. 
And that was about eight or eight years ago, I would say. And there has not been a day that has gone by that I have not prayed to my son and asked for his forgiveness. I know I don't need his forgiveness, all the theological wants that are listening. The only forgiveness I need is from Jesus, and I've received it 100%. But I am a broken human being. So, so knowing that I have a son in heaven, asking him to forgive me, and most importantly, asking him to pray for me so that when I get in front of a camera like today, that I can speak truth into the lie that is this world. And, and I don't care if a majority of Americans think that murdering a baby in the womb is right. You I don't care. Just because the majority of people think that does not make it the truth. It's a lie. It always has been, and it always will be. So me having a relationship with my son for the last eight years has been a, the greatest gift in the world. And yes, I do have a son, and yes, he is in heaven. Amen. I have to ask, have you shared this with your former girlfriends? I feel like this would be just a mind-blowing revelation for her also. I mean, especially she has a name for her child. I, I just, uh, I can't imagine. Yeah, you know, um, Sammy, I, in this, in this um, process of first reconciling with God and then sharing my story with my wife and then naming my son, those were three integral steps in the healing process. Very integral, very, very fruitful for me as an individual. Yeah, let's say them again really fast. Let's, num let's number them again. Yeah, the first and foremost and most important of all of them is reconciliation with God. Uh, for the Catholic Christian listeners, sacrament of reconciliation. Most important and, and as important as all the rest of the steps combined. Second step sharing my abortion with my current wife at the time, the only wife I've, I've ever had. The third step was naming my son. These were all profound steps on the journey to, to healing and recovery. But you know, Sammy, it, it, um, the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 15, verse 18, he says, why is my pain continuous, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Even though I had taken those three steps, I was still wounded. I, I really was. And I went into spiritual direction one day. And Father Ed Sylvia, my spiritual director, said to me, he said, Jeff, you're making progress. You, you're thick-headed and thick-hearted, but you're making progress. He said, the next step on your journey is you need to call your former girlfriend and apologize to her. And I tell you, Sammy, I took a step back and I said, Father Ed, I said, you're a holy priest. You're a very, very smart man. For a number of years, he was on EWTN with John at Bankovic. I said, but that is the single stupidest idea I have ever heard in my life. And all he did was look at me as the spiritual genius that he is in the spiritual fledgling that I was and am. And he said, Jeff, if you have this much pain in your heart, how much pain do you think your girlfriend has? 
And I did not say one more word for the rest of that spiritual direction. He prayed over me. And then the next day I was in the chapel and I said, God, are you, is our father Ed's words divinely ordained? Do you wish me to call my former girlfriend? And instantaneously, um, Sammy, the answer was yes. I believe I heard God say yes. Not only yes, he, he, it was an emphatic yes. So I said, okay, God, <clears throat> I haven't talked to this young lady in probably 30 years at the time. I don't know where she lives. God, pray, you know, hopefully, Lord, she's still alive. You know the answer to that. I don't. But if you put me in touch with her, I will make the active effort of trying to find her. But I'm going to need your help to do that. So the next day, Sammy, I called up a good friend who lived back in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. And I said, I need to find such and such. Could you please help me? And, and 24 hours later, Sammy, he called me back and he gave me my former girlfriend's number. Wow. So I, I, before I called my girlfriend, I obviously shared this with my wife, my partner, and made sure she was okay with it. And in, in typical fashion, she, she was perfectly fine with it. And um, so about two or three days later, I had to gather up my composure and, um, and I made the phone call. And, and to be honest with you, Sammy, I, I, um, I spoke a little bit about the day that I brought her to the clinic, how much, how, how much anxiety and fear I had at the time. When I called her, you could take that anxiety level and multiply by five. I didn't know how she would respond. I didn't know if she would even remember my name or who I was. But in typical fashion, um, the soft-hearted person that she was, she, she, you know, I, I said, hey, hey, I'm obviously not going to mention her name. Jeff Joquin here, you know, long time no here. We went through the initial you know, getting back together type of conversation. And then I said to her, as I was trembling, I, I remember I was holding on to the desk that I was uh, speaking to her on, on speakerphone. And my arms were trembling. My, I, I was sweating as if I was in a sauna. And I said to her, could you please forgive me for what I did to you? so many years ago. Could you please forgive me for not standing up for you at a time where you needed me the most, at a time where a, a real man would have stood by your side, put his hand in yours, and said, let's get through this together. I abandoned you. Could you please forgive me for that? And almost instantly, she, she said, Jeff, she said, we were young. We didn't understand what we were doing. And yes, I forgive you. And, and I'll tell you, Sammy, I thought the 500-pound gorilla had gotten off of me when I got the sacramental reconciliation. When my former girlfriend, who I had put through hell, forgave me. 
a new 500 pound gorilla was off my chest. It, it was such a blessing for me. I, I, I and any man who is out there listening to this, you can set yourself free through reconciliation, but you won't truly be free until you call that former girlfriend or former wife and apologize to her for what you put her through. A mother and a child are connected with an umbilical cord for a reason. And men, we snipped that umbilical cord long before it was supposed to be snipped. So please, it's not courage. You don't need courage to do this. You need humility to do it. So step up. Be a man. Take on the humility necessary and apologize to your former wife or girlfriend. Please, I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm only judging myself and what set me free. You know, man, that, that's my challenge to you. That's the challenge that I've implemented in my life is to, is to call my former girlfriend and to apologize to her. Because that's very important for us as men to recognize the mistake that we've made and the gravity of that mistake. But what I want to say to you women out there that are listening, that have never received that phone call from your boyfriend or your husband, for that matter, that's never apologized to you. I want to deeply and sincerely, on their behalf, apologize to you that you did not have the man, the boyfriend, the husband in your life at that time. Instead of him celebrating with joy with you over that announcement or that positive pregnancy test, he turned his back on you. He abandoned you. He left you isolated. I want to apologize for that man. I personally, on his behalf, want to apologize to you. Because quite frankly, women, we can, as men, ask for forgiveness from you. But we can never know the physical pain and the harm that was inflicted to you. See, I wasn't in the, the examination room with my girlfriend. I didn't have my legs up in stirrups in a completely defenseless position as a stranger, a stranger took out the life of your child out of your womb. So on behalf of that man in your life that did not or has not apologized, may the grace of God rush into your heart. May you give the forgiveness. May you forgive in the absence of an apology forgive that person so that you too can be set free from that captivity of pain and anxiety. So from the bottom of my heart, I apologize to you too for what that man did to you. I have goosebumps, Jeff. Thank you for sharing all this. I think that something we haven't 
we are, we should address now is part of your healing has been sharing with others and healing our, I guess, not you, not healing, letting God use you to heal others that have experienced this. So can you talk about that's the, that was the next step of your healing and what are the stories that you've heard that, um, of the lives of these people that you have so deeply touched and helped? You know, Sammy, I, by God's graces, we could literally have a three or four hour podcast just on that topic alone, but I'll, I'll, I'll pick out two examples, one for your male listeners and one for your female listeners of, of uh, responses that I've received after sharing my story uh, um, with them. Last year, I was blessed to speak to the high school students at St. Pete Catholic High School in um, St. Petersburg, Florida. And I got through with the 45-minute talk on, on abortion and you know, Sammy, sometimes you, especially when you're talking to high school students, you really don't know if your message is sinking in or are they just, you know, looking down at their phone and zoning off and not paying attention. But as I got done with the, the talk and I, I sat over, the, the principal asked me specifically to stay around in the over in the side so that if anybody wanted to approach me, they could approach and, and have a discussion. And I will, I will never forget this, uh, Sammy, as long as I live. There was a group of about what I would say is probably 15-year-old girls. There were four of them. They're probably sophomores in high school or maybe freshmen or I don't know what they were. But one of them looked me in the eyes. She wasn't really looking me in the eyes. She was looking at my soul. See, she saw right through me. And because she was with three other of her friends, she did not come over individually. But as she was looking through my soul, she put her hand down on her stomach and she rubbed it in a circular motion and she voiced the words or mouthed the words. There was no audible, but she mouthed the words, thank you. And, and I, I tell you, Sammy, even, even repeating that story for me is difficult because that's when God finally said, yes, Jeff, you're not worthy. Yes, you are a broken instrument. Yes, you took the life of your son so many years ago. But look what I can do through you. Just you saying yes and being as vulnerable as you can can be in front of these high school students. I can make a difference in an unborn child's life. And I tell you, Sammy, the next day, I spent two hours in adoration just crying my eyes out that God would, would there is a human being alive today because God allowed me to give that talk in front of those high school students. So, so, so impactful. So that, that's for the woman, right? Mm -hmm. The men, I, I, could, I cannot even begin to tell you how many times I've been approached after conferences or retreats or documentaries and men who've committed abortions 
30, 40. I had an 82-year-old man come up to me in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania after a men's conference. An 82-year-old man, 60 years before, had an abortion. Can you imagine the pain? I carried it for 25 years, and it nearly ruined me. That man was 60 years. But here's the real story, another story, but, but, but even more impactful. I did a talk in, in Tampa, Florida here uh, at a local retreat center. And what I asked the Lord to do as I'm giving this talk is I'll pan the audience back and forth, back and forth. And I just asked the Lord, Lord, give me a sensitivity of heart to know who to speak directly to. Who, who is the most hard-hearted man that's here that needs to hear your voice? And you know, Sammy, there was one guy in particular. I kept looking at him and kept looking at him, and I knew it was him. I got done with the talk. There was about 15 men in line. Each one of those 15 men had a different abortion story. Each one of them. There was only about 200 men in attendance, and 15 of them had their own abortion stories. But the one man that I focused on, that I knew the Lord needed me to reach out to, he did not come up. So in similar fashion, the people that organized the conference asked me to go to the back of the conference room because people are always going to come up after the fact. Not everyone's going to race right up there and, and, and get ready for confession. So I'm sitting in the back of the conference room and I put my head down and I have my rosary with me because I always, I always ask the Blessed Mother to be with me. I was born on September 8th, the same day she was, um, and I ask her to always be with me. And I said to her, Mother, I failed your son today because I know that man had had an abortion I know he did, and I failed your son today, mother, because I'm a prideful man, and I'm not humble. And the, the second I said the word humble, I felt a hand go on my shoulder. And do you know it was that man that I had focused on the whole, uh, um, during the whole talk? And he looked at me, and he said, He's probably 10 years older than me at the time. He said, brother, he said, you have no idea what you have done for me today. He said, my wife and I have four children. And he named the first two. And then he broke down like I've never seen a grown man break down in my life. He said, my wife lost her job. I lost my job. And we were hard. Money was hard. And we had two abortions between our second and third child. And we have never spoken about those abortions. Never. Not even the day she left the hospital. I have never said a word to my wife about those two abortions. But I am going to go home today. And he said, I'm not even going to stay for the rest of this conference. Because I'm getting in my car, I'm going home, and I'm going to get down on my knees and beg my wife to forgive me 
for what I did to her. And I'll tell you, Sammy, when you, when you can when you can hear when you can hear Jesus speaks about leaving the 99 and going after the one. When you can hear the words of that one who was me, I was that one at one point in time. But when you can hear the words of, of that one and you can hear how broken his heart is and how he's ready to reconcile with God, I'll do this. I'll get in front of a camera wherever and whenever it takes me from now until the day I die, being an unworthy instrument, going after that one to set that captive free, because that man was set free by Jesus Christ that day. He was set free by him. Amen. That's beautiful. Can I ask about the 82-year-old man? After I got off the stage at Pittsburgh, I... I it was a fairly big arena, and there was three different tiers of people. I, I, when I get done with a talk like that, just like now, Sammy, I, it's very emotional for me. It, you, you, it's almost as if you run like a ten-mile race, and you're, you're emotionally drained, physically drained. And I tried to go a beeline it out the side so I wouldn't get the rush of people. And this 82-year-old man walked up to me. He would not, he's 82, and I couldn't beat him to the door. <laughs> he beat me to the door. And he said, son, can I give you a hug? And I tell you, Sammy, I gave him a hug. He, he whispered in my ear what I have shared with you today. And, you know, when God lets you in to see a little tiny sliver of his salvation history, it's, it's such an honor. And, and, I, and I, I don't deserve it, but I, I, I get it so often. Um, I'm thankful that every day I do a consecration to the Blessed Virgin because she gets all the graces that come from it. Because it, it's just so humbling for me to hear a man that had an abortion sick. I'm 53 years old. This man had an abortion 60. The pain, the only other, here's how I will say it, Sammy. The only time you can hear that pain released from a human being is if you have the great, this fortunate pleasure to be around a parent when they find that their child has passed away. That primal, that primal groan in pain is, is something I can't even, I can't express in words when you hear that. And just the tears of, of, of pain, but of joy. It's, it's such an honor. It's, it's an honor, and I don't deserve it. I really don't. I think now would be a, a wonderful time for you to share the letter that you wrote your son, if that's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is, um, I'm going to read it, because I, I haven't obviously memorized it. Um, 
But uh, in in 2020, I watched the the movie Unplanned by Abby Johnson. What a hero she is for the pro-life movement. And I was so convicted at the end of it when she wrote a letter to her, I believe her two aborted children. Uh, It convicted me so much. I got up from the chair. I went into my office and I wrote this in 10 minutes. I, I didn't realize I could type that fast, but apparently I did. <laughs> so this is my son, my letter to my aborted son. I am sorry, my son. As you are well aware, you started your journey in life in July of 1987, 35 years ago in the womb of your mother. It must have seemed unusual for you to watch as your father secretly borrowed $200 from a friend to pay for your first trip to the doctor. It must have been difficult for you when your mother entered the building for your appointment and your father didn't even have the courage to come in to join both of you. It must have been unthinkable unthinkable for you when you saw your mother lying on the table in unadulterated fear as the doctor began his procedure. Why are my mother and father letting this happen to me? I can imagine where your thoughts as a complete stranger took your life with nobody there to defend you. Jonathan Andrew Joquin, I am so sorry for what I have done to you. I am so sorry that you'll never be able to take your first steps into the loving arms of your parents, that you'll never be able to fill your lungs with a breath of the deep breath of fresh air, that you'll never get to speak the first words of amazement to your parents that you'll never be able to have a birthday party and blow out the candles, that you'll never get a chance to board the bus for school, that you'll never get to meet your cousins, aunts, uncles who would have loved you, loved to spend time with you, that you'll never get to meet your grandparents who would have loved you beyond measure, that you'll never get to meet your sister Faith who is 20 years old as I write you this letter. I am sorry that you'll miss your high school graduation, that you'll never have the opportunity of going off to college and getting a degree, that you'll never get the opportunity of growing up and getting married and having children of your own. I am sorry that you and I will never be able to play catch with a football in the backyard, that you and I will never go to a baseball game and eat a hot dog together. I am sorry that I put your mother in a position to do the unthinkable with your precious life, that I didn't have the courage to stand up for your life and allow you the opportunity of entering this world. I am sorry for choosing my future over yours, that I used my gift of free choice to prevent you from having yours, for allowing a complete stranger to vacuum you out of your mother's room and discard you in the trash. You are not biomedical waste, but a human being. I am sorry for waiting so many decades before I had started to pray to you every day and ask for your prayers. I am sorry that I've not been a better advocate for men and women who've participated in abortion. I am sorry that I was not the father you deserve to have in this world. I know with certainty that we will meet one day in heaven, my son, where we will share the embrace of love that I long to share with you today. But in the meantime, my son, I ask for your prayers of forgiveness and mercy. 
and know that your father loves you. From the bottom of his heart, and is so sorry for what he has done to you. That was my letter to my little baby boy. It's beautiful. Jeff, I want to say thank you so much for letting God just basically <laughs> uh, wreck you <laughs> in the best way possible and for your commitment to the pro-life movement and to helping so many understand the horror, the pain of abortion, but also the hope that we can all have that um, those who have had an abortion can have. Because I think that you are the perfect testament to how there is hope and joy and salvation. So thank you so much. You know, all I want to say in conclusion, um, Sammy, is this. If you have heard anything from my story today, let it be this. God's mercy is unfathomable. The norms of his justice do not exceed the norms of his mercy. So if there's something that you need to, if there's any sin that you've committed in your life, take it to God. He's waiting for you with open arms of mercy. The words of Isaiah chapter 43, verse 4. We are precious in his eyes and honored, and he loves us. Go get his mercy. He's waiting for you. Amen. So thank you, Sammy, for the opportunity. And God bless you and your family. God bless you. And how can we uh, find you on, uh, I, I will put in the show notes, your YouTube link. Um, when is your documentary going to be on EWTN? Yeah, they, they, um, the um, YouTube channel is set up. I set it up about a month ago. Um, and uh, yeah, you can give that link to that. There's, you know, I, there's an abortion talk on there, but more importantly, Sammy, I think for those that haven't participated in abortion, there's, there's my story of, the prodigal son story really deals with alcohol. It deals with drugs. It deals with workaholism. It deals with unforgiveness. There's a whole range of topics and videos on there that have been recorded across the country so they, they can enjoy those. And yeah, the documentary that's getting produced by Stellar Cinematics, uh, it's going to be finished up in February or March. And then they're in the process of, of, um, of uh, dealing with EWTN to determine when it's going to be aired, but it's 30 different pro-life speakers from across the country, and it's going to be one hour session for each speaker to go over a one-month period. So hopefully it'll be out by the summertime, uh, the latest is what we're hoping. That's amazing. Well, I am so honored to have talked to you today and to have met you. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Yeah, the honor is all mine, and I, I thank you for your time. God bless you, and God bless you to your listeners. I'll be uh, praying for you and your ministry. Likewise for yours. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.